0: Pray for us as we come to the Word today. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come and be together, to gather in your name. And it's our, our uh, hope today, our desire today that you would speak to each one of us, that your Spirit would move in our hearts and our minds now to bring your truth to our lives, that we'd be able to um, get a sense of your presence in our life all the things that are happening um, in, in the week that's been and the things that are coming in the week ahead of us, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to bring them to you now and just say for this, for this moment, God, I'm just going to uh, give those things to you that I, could, that I could listen to you, that I could hear what your word has to say, that there could be some truth that would apply to my life. Father, I pray that the word today would bring hope, that the word today would bring mercy that it would bring grace into our lives that we would uh, be transformed by your power today by the power of your spirit at work in us we pray this in your precious name amen you know it's great to be reminded today that it is the day of pentecost normally i keep up with these things but thankfully chappy meg reminded me today that's an important day for the christian calendar for sure the day where God pours out His Spirit on His people, and uh, you know, I'm it's a, it's, I'm thankful for people like Chappy Meg who uh, who remind us when I've prepared something completely different to reflecting on that, and that's okay too. So today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter seven. You can open up there, but I wanted to start off talking about um, a, a topic that might seem a bit bit odd, a bit uh, a bit down. But uh, it's going to connect with our passage today, I'm sure. So I wanted to talk to you about some of the funerals that I've been to in my life. I've, been, I've actually counted and I've been to quite a few. Um, it just so happens. And uh, I want to talk to you about the first one I went to. I'm pretty sure, uh, this is from memory, that it was my great-grandmother's funeral. Right? I used to call her nang-nang. Right, N-A-N-G, N-A-N-G. I remember those, those uh, letters spelled out on the cards that we'd received from her and, and so on. And often my nana, so Nang Nang's daughter, would take us to visit her if we were hanging out with her. And uh, when I say us, I'm talking about my brother and I. And my best memory of visiting Nang Nang was these chocolate coated ice creams. Uh, She would give us, you know, on a a paddle pop stick and just, they they were pretty cheap and and nasty, but they were delicious to us, right? We, We enjoyed it. That was my best memory of visiting her. And anyway, I remember going along to this, to her funeral as a teenager and, um, and And i don't rem- remember too much from it, really, other than uh, I knew it was a sad day for our family, and I could see that others in the family were upset. I didn't really connect with her that much other than chocolate ice creams right and so and so for me, I was kind of that like uh that silly teenager that was just like, "Oh, can we just get to the wake? you know this was my attitude right and um the the one thing I did find from that funeral was the first time that I really paused to consider that this life I've been given, one day is going to come to an end, right? That was, that was the first time that I sort of really reflected on that for a moment. It, there's a definite end that I'm moving towards, right? And I'd ro- not really given it much attention being a young, young guy who's just more, you know, uh, concerned with what he's going to eat next or, or whatever. That's sort of how I was as a young kid, And since that time, I've been to a few more funerals. And it seems like the more that I went to, the more effect funerals had on me, maybe as I grew and matured and so on. So I've been to both my grandparents' funerals on my dad's side. Um, I've been to both Jade's grandparents' funerals on her dad's side. Some of my friends' grandparents' funerals I've been to as well. And most of these funerals, you know, they they were expected. They were kind of the result of old age, the body wearing out another life coming to, uh, coming to an end as one could really expect that it was going to. So about a total of eight before I moved to Gander to pastor out there, right? If you don't know where Gander is, you should take a road trip one day and visit. It's a great place. And when I was pastoring out there, I believe I, uh, I attended another six funerals when I was in Gander in, in the space of about four and a half years, right? And so some of these, again, were older folks who simply reaching the end of their life, um, and they'd each seem to live a full life. But there were some others in this list of funerals where their lives came to an end way too early. right? And so one was the funeral of, of a mother of some of the kids to whom I was chaplain at at the local high school in Gainda. Go chaplaincy. Woohoo. And, um, and this funeral was one that had a very different feeling for me than what I was used to experiencing when I go to a funeral. Right, it struck me different, differently to how others had in the past, even, even funerals of my own family members and so on. It may have been the young age of the mum. It may have been me seeing these kids go through that whole process of grieving. It may have been um, the way in which she died. But I'd felt like I'd learnt something different about life, having been a part of this particular funeral, compared to what I'd learned at other funerals I'd been to. Right, there was just something about this one that I thought I'm going to I'm going to leave here today carrying something else with me. You know, it's just something different about it. Another funeral I attended was the funeral of a close friend of mine. Right, he'd been um, hit by a car while crossing a highway and it ended his life. That tragic accident, and it was the first time I'd ever attended a funeral of a very close friend. And again. Compared to many other funerals that I've been to, this one just hit a little bit differently to the others. I feel like I'd learnt something else about the value of life. He was, I, I, I don't think he was quite in his 40s and uh, I'd spent a lot of time with him and I felt like I left there a little bit more mature as a person. Like God had taught me another thing about the value of life. More recently, being part of this church family, I got the privilege of officiating Jack and Muggers' funeral uh, late last year. And um, that was great to be a part of that. And then only about a month ago, I was able to view online the the funeral service for Jenny Beer. And um, what I'm learning is that each time I attend a funeral and give myself over to sharing grief and loss with others... I feel like I grow and mature as a person. I don't know about you. Maybe you've you've experienced this as you've attended funerals in your own life. I learned something new about the value of the life that I've been given. It seems, And it seems that the passage we're going to look at today in, in the book of Ecclesiastes actually brings up this same type of discussion. It talks about the wisdom that we can get from going to the house of mourning. And we're going to reflect on this idea because... Although it seems kind of depressing right now, we're going we're to see that there's hope in this. We're going to see that there's actually something really meaningful and powerful in this for us. It almost seems like the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes is bringing a message to a community that has experienced loss and grief. It's like he's sitting down these people and he's saying, hey, we, we, we've just been through a time of difficulty and mourning, but here's some things to consider about the situation. And now I know that I'm not the only one who's attended funerals before, Many of us, even very recently, have um, been, uh, been to a funeral, whether it be loved ones or family and friends, and I'm sure that coming out the other side of these difficult times, you may have experienced some of what I'm talking about as well. Right? A sense in which you've been refined or shaped uh, to a degree by that, that really stark reminder, you know, this life is going to come to an end one day. There comes a time when this is all over. And we're going to be reading a passage today that encourages us to do some things that might seem very unnatural at first. But if you can relate to this idea of attending a funeral, you'll know what it's talking about. Right, so the the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes, this uh, person who's put this book together, has outlined several things in our passage that are better to do than their opposite, right? He, he kind of goes through a whole number of things. It's kind of like, it's better to wash your hands than not wash your hands, you know? He goes through a heap of these things and, and we're invited to come to grips with some of these things that he says are better to do than their opposite. And we're gonna cover them, um, just verses one to four today. It says, this is what it says. We'll, we'll read the first four verses and then we'll go through them a bit more deeper. So it says this, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. All right? This is what I've been talking about. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face. Is good for the heart. (laughs) The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Right, and that's the end of the the first four verses there, and there's actually heaps in here. Reading through this for the first time, you kind of think, gee, this is a bit of a depressing little passage that we've come across. What on earth have we gotten ourselves into? But we're going to dive in and see what we get out of them. Let's look at the first verse. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. What's this first verse saying? I think it's saying that our character, our reputation, you know, the idea of a good name is like um, who we're known for being. It's better to have a good name than to have lots of money, right? If you had lots of money, you'd be able to afford nice perfume back in those days, and what they're saying is, it's sure, it's a nice thing to have lots of money and be able to afford good things. But he says, in order to have nice things, don't go doing things that corrupt your character and your integrity just to get these things you want. And then he's tying that into the idea of what are people going to reflect on um, when it comes to the end of your life? Are they going to know all of the things that you had or are they going to know your good character? Are they going to know uh, what type of person that you were? The message version says a good reputation is better than a fat bank account. (laughs) That's what it says. I thought that's a good way of putting it. Your day of death tells more than your day of birth is what it's saying. So the little bit of wisdom being given to us even in this first verse here is that when it comes to the end of our lives, people are going to remember the way we lived our lives more than the things that we had. So let's not let our desire for things and material wealth blur our ability to make decisions that keep our integrity intact, okay? So that's just like a little little proverb, good good little piece of common sense to take with us. Verse two says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. You'll learn more. I think what he's saying is you'll learn more if you put yourself into the position where you go through mourning and grieving than if you were to only be partying and having good times, right We ought to take this to heart. We might discover something from it, is what he's saying. We might learn something about life if we go through the process of mourning and grieving over the loss of life. and our culture today, our society, you know, um, contemporary society, if you like, they, they, they sort of don't do grief very well. It's kind of like, okay. Um, have your funeral, or grieve grieve for a bit, and then move on you know you 've got to just move on and be tough. but I think what this is saying is no, you, you, should, you should go dive into grief, you know experience that there 's something you can learn there in that space i 'm sure that i 've learned more about life from attending funerals than I have from having a walk in the park or having a party with my friends. Right, that's kind of what he's getting at here. He's saying we should reflect on this and take it to heart because one day people will be attending our funeral. Verse three, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. What, again, it's like, really? What are, we, what are we reading here? I know automatically if you've got children, you've probably been frustrated to the point of tears. Am I, am I right, anyone with kids? Um, others of us know that that feeling you get when you're in a situation that you just can't change, right? You, didn't, you don't like it. Maybe you didn't choose this thing to happen in your life. It might have just happened to you. It might be a broken relationship or some, some difficulty or hardship that's come upon you, whether it be at home or at work or with family. And the wise teacher says, you'll learn more from those times in your life than you would from everything just being peachy all the time. There's a way in which these things seem to refine us a bit. Some of us might be asking, how could a sad face possibly be good for our heart? And the message version, again, sheds a bit of light on this. It says, Crying is better than laughing. It blotches the face, but it scours the heart. Scours the heart. It's like, I don't know if you've ever tried to clean the burn marks off the bottom of a cooking pot you know, where it goes all black and you've got to scrub it clean with some steel wool, there's a refining and a cleansing that happens when you've been frustrated to the point of tears, isn't there? <laughs> you know, when, and you go through something so sorrowful, like losing a friend in a tragic accident. You know, there's something that happens in that and going through that process of grieving. Something leads you to a place of grief for a time. These times, although we might rather have done without them, There's something you can only learn having been through them. I think that's what this wise teacher is saying. He seems to know this and he's encouraging us to to go through them. The heart of the wise, this is is verse four. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, a couple of points to make here because we kind of have to balance things out a little bit. He's not telling us to go seeking out difficult times, right? We shouldn't go seeking out a funeral to attend to, nor do I think he's he's, uh, saying to avoid parties and enjoying ourselves. In fact, most of Ecclesiastes is kind of saying, you should should really go ahead and enjoy all of the, the good things that you do have in your life. You know, go find those blessings and enjoy them as much as you can. He's not saying to go and seek out, you know, this sort of depressed life and just grieving every day. But there seems to be a way in which he wants us to know that when these times come in our life, when we experience loss, and no doubt many of us have, whether through all different ways, it, it doesn't even have to be the death of a loved one. When everything goes belly up, you know, when, every, when the time comes that we go through something difficult, when the time comes we're hard pressed financially, or when the time comes that suffering and pain enters our lives. When the time comes that our lives just seem broken, things are falling apart, he says, this is a time not to shy away from. This is a time to invest in, and to consider, and to take a hold of. There's something you can learn here. Nothing else will give you this lesson that you can learn in that place. You know, more often than not, we we talk about God in a way that, like, you know, if you just turn to God, everything about your life will get better. Right, that seems to be a, a bit of a narrative of church culture. You know? It's like the prosperity thing. Good and, good and prosperous things will come to you if you turn to Jesus. Right? And I'm sorry to say that that's, that's not the whole story of what the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible teaches there's room, uh, room for difficulty in our lives. There's room in our Christian faith for when everything goes wrong. There's room for when we've done everything we possibly could have to ensure things will go well and still things go wrong. You know, there's room for that. Still things fall apart. And we might say, yeah, but this is an Old Testament passage, you know. This wise teacher didn't have Jesus' life, death and resurrection story to to draw upon. But even jumping into the New Testament, which we're going to do now, the, the life and teachings of Christ, what we see is that Jesus does not automatically and immediately free everyone from their suffering. Yeah, you know, we did see, even these ten guys here in the children's story. You know, they had to go to the priest. <laughs> you know, to be cleansed. He doesn't even free himself from suffering and death. Right? There are plenty of miracles of healing. Very well aware of that, and that's awesome. And we should pray for healing, and we should pray for God's intervention. There's plenty of times where Jesus raises people up from the dead, but there are also times when he allows life to, to reach its end. I think of the story of Lazarus in chapter 11 of John's Gospel, right? Jesus allows him to be in the grave for four days before he raises him back to life. Even before going to the tomb to do that, he just, he just sits with everyone in their, in their grief and he just he, he weeps. He just has compassion, shows compassion. And he just sits there in that moment. And the story could well have ended there. I think I've said that before when I preached on that passage. The story could have ended there. That could have been it. And, and Jesus would, have, would not have lost any, any less of his character. You know, he, there would be nothing missing there. I think of the woman that, you know, I shared in the scripture reading out of Mark's uh, gospel in chapter 5. She's been suffering for 12 years, suffering from bleeding It says she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, right? She'd spent all she had on trying to get better. There was nothing more she could do, and yet her situation grew worse. It didn't get any better. I think she was frustrated to the point of tears. You know, I reckon she's experienced grief. (laughs) She's living in that house of mourning. And when she hears about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak you know, what, what, what other choice did she have? If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And then after 12 years, after 12 years of suffering, she's healed by Jesus. You know, even from Jesus' life, he's journeyed with his disciples for three years, right? Going and doing life together in ministry, seeing God do amazing things. Jesus finds them falling asleep when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he's saying, just stay watch for me while I go and pray. A stone's throw away, you know. And he comes back a few times and just finds them all asleep. Like they just, you know, his friends are just sort of letting him down in this really difficult time. He's sweating drops of blood. He's considering his his death on the cross that's, that's coming very soon. And they can't even stay awake to support him and pray with him. He's betrayed by Judas. You know he's even sharing communion with them at the table, right? On the Passover meal, sharing with Judas, and Judas leaves to go and go and betray him. Three times Peter denies knowing him, right when he's being tried. Hey, do you know that man? Oh no 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 no! no. I don't know. Three times Jesus suffers death on the cross, all the while being completely innocent himself. Right? We have a, a saviour who understands difficulty in this life and there's room for that in our faith. And so by way of response today, I think we're asking ourselves a few questions here. And I want you to consider these for, you, for your own life. What grief and loss have I experienced in my life? How has my life dealt me a harsh experience? How has my life been shaped by suffering and difficulty? I mean, sure, there's varying levels of this, right? I, I, there's a mechanic in Gander who I used to visit and he'd say, I'd say, how are you going, Steve? He'd go, well, it could be worse. I could be in Syria, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, of course, there's varying levels of suffering, Right? But all of us in our own way go through difficulty in our life. What, what's, what's it been for you? What's the thing you struggle with? And are we aware that Jesus wants to participate with us, even meet with us in that place of suffering and difficulty and hurt? You know, his whole coming to earth was, was that whole uh, expression of desire to be with us in this journey of life on earth just like he met with the bleeding woman. Jesus wants to do a transforming work in our lives in that place. In Jesus' day, this woman, I wanna talk about her just as we finish. She was considered religiously unclean, right? For 12 years, she's been unable to attend attend worship in the temple, right? Or to have a meaningful experience with God. And according to the religious thought of her day, Her suffering and her bleeding separates her from connection with God. She's not able to connect. She's too unclean to go and interact even with anyone, right? Because for her to interact with someone and come into contact with someone makes them unclean, religiously unclean, unable to worship and be involved in community. And so when she reaches out in faith, this was a big deal, right? When she touches Jesus, Jesus reverses the religious thought. Right? Rather than him becoming unclean, he makes her clean. Right? He shows her that her pain and suffering does not exclude her from interacting with the living God. And I wonder maybe for some of us, the difficulty we've experienced, maybe we think, man, it just kind of doesn't gel with who God is or who I think that um, you know, he, he is and whether he would want to be in relationship with me, I don't know. It just kind of doesn't make sense this is showing us actually reaching out in faith, connecting with Jesus. He wants to, he wants to take that brokenness as an opportunity to say, hey, let's, let's connect in this, this level of suffering. I understand. I want to meet you there in that place. That's where transformation can happen. I wonder if Jesus wants to meet us in our suffering and pain, to do a work in us that only he can do, where power would go out from him. Right, and bring, bring something in our life that is a really meaningful connection with God, something we've been longing for, for years and years. So with that, I want to pray for us, and uh, I want to invite you to respond. There's opportunity for you to respond today, whether it be writing something on your Connect card. Um, you can hand that in at the, the box at the end of the service, or um, you know you might just want to pray there in your seat. And you might just want to say, well, God, here's the things that I've been struggling with. Here's the suffering I've been through in my life. And, and so far, I'm not sure if you've, you're aware of it, God. You know, maybe you want to just have that conversation. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, these examples of uh, the way in which you, you meet us in these desperate times, in times when we're just thinking, man, what is the point of all this? It doesn't make sense. Lord, we know that you want to meet us in that place and I thank you for that, God. That makes, makes us want to sing that song. God, you are so good. To be able to meet us in that place, in our suffering, we thank you for your own suffering on the cross that makes a way for transformation to come into our lives. I pray that would be true for each one of us today. Pray even as we sing, that you'd be able to see um, you'd be able to meet with each one here, Lord. We'd be able to reach out and touch touch your your clothes and just that we, that we would experience your power coming into our heart and our mind, into our lives, that we'd see transformation, God. Pray this in your precious name. Amen.